Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you here for worship again today on this holiday weekend as we have just come off of 4th of July, our celebration of the birthday of the greatest country in America, or in the whole world. And uh, we can be ex- exceedingly grateful for God's many blessings uh, over our nation. We've been uh, in a difficult season here in our country uh, in recent months. And uh, so far, 2020 has been a uh, year like none other. One of the things that I've really uh, enjoyed in my life has been uh, the, the opportunity to uh, read history. I love reading history. Uh, you can learn a lot through the study of those who have gone before us. I'm currently reading a biography on Abraham Lincoln, uh, arguably the greatest president this nation has ever known. Saw our nation through uh, a tumultuous period far more difficult than what we even experience uh, in our times today. And I thought I'd share this uh, quote with us this morning uh, from Abraham Lincoln's first inaugural address when he was elected to be president. On March 4th, 1861, Lincoln in his inaugural address said this, Intelligence, patriotism, Christianity, and a firm reliance on him who has never yet forsaken this favored land are still competent to adjust in the best way all our present difficulty. Think about what President Lincoln says there, friends. It's our patriotism, it's Jesus Christ, it's our reliance on God, who has never yet forsaken this land, that can see us through our present difficulty. And friends, those truths are still realities to this day. And so as a, as a people here at Lakes Free, I want to encourage us to not lose hope in the midst of this challenging time we find ourselves in. We have an obligation to point people to our true hope, our nation's true hope, which is Jesus Christ and the promises of God's word. God has been so faithful. He has blessed this nation, and uh, we can be grateful for that. And uh, we need to not lose sight of that. And we need to give honor and praise and glory to God for his many blessings. And we need to turn to him in our present state of difficulty. So I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. We're going to thank God for our country this morning. We're going to thank him for the blessings that we have here, uh, the freedom that we have to gather here, uh, to sing his praises. Yes, we are going to sing God's praises this morning here at Lakes Free because he is worthy. And uh, let's just pray and ask God's ongoing blessing over our nation, and our church, and our world. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have the privilege of being your people, that through faith in Jesus Christ, you give us the privilege of being called children of God. That is the greatest blessing of all, Lord. And so we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, as your people here in this uniquely blessed land, we thank you, God, for our nation. We thank you for what you have done here in America. And although, Lord, this is not a perfect land, it is a land that has been blessed by you, that has been used by you for the benefit of the world for almost 250 years. We thank you, God, for this country. And we praise you, Lord, for your many blessings over our land. God, we know we're in a very difficult period as a nation. And uh, we're in a, a period of chaos and 
and uh, tumult, Lord, and it just seems like so many things that we value and cherish are under attack today. Lord, it's just a reminder to us of how much our nation needs you. As President Lincoln declared, at the cusp of the Civil War, we need to turn to Jesus. We need to turn in faith to the one who has never forsaken this land. And so, God, I just pray that that would start with us in our hearts here at Lakes Free and in our community, Lord, that we would lift up the name of Jesus as our only source of hope, that we would point others to the hope that is found in our benevolent, providential God and Savior. And we might look to you, God, and continue to turn to you as the source of our blessings and that you, God, would continue to shine favorably on our land. Lord, we pray against this disease that still is uh, ravaging so many lives and, and scaring people and keeping people in, in the threat and fears of sickness and death. Lord, we pray that you would just banish this coronavirus from our land, God. We, we pray against the, the chaos and, and the uh, turmoil in our culture, Lord. The divisiveness, the, the division, the silencing of speech and the erasing of history, Lord. God, we just pray against all of this chaos. And we ask that truth and justice and righteousness would reign. God, help us model that in our lives. And help us point people to a better way, the way of Jesus. And so, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you that you are our hope. And may we never fail to lean on you and honor you and give you the praise that you deserve. So we thank you, Lord, this 4th of July weekend. And we ask your ongoing blessings on this land. Heavenly Father, as we now turn to your word, as we open up the book of Genesis and look at the life of Joseph once again, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes this morning to a fresh vision of who you are, our great big God, our faithful God. May we be inspired by this vision of you, and may it compel us to live in faith and faithfulness in response. And so we thank you, God, that we have the privilege of seeing your work in history, your work in the life of Joseph and in the nation of Israel. And may it remind us today that you are the same God today that you were then and that we can trust you and that you are faithful. So we praise you. We commit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves as we come to your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, as I mentioned this morning, we are in Genesis chapter 41. We're moving along in the life of Joseph. We're, we're going to be turning the page today in the life of Joseph. Joseph so far has been a story of tragedy and trial and difficult circumstances, one after the other. And today we are going to see God elevate Joseph to a position of prominence and power and authority. We're going to see God's fulfillment of his plans for Joseph and the nation of Israel today here in Genesis chapter 41. One of the great evangelical scholars of the modern era was a man by the name of Dr. Robert Dick Wilson. He was a renowned professor at Princeton Seminary and uh, one of the great defenders of Scripture in the modern era. Robert Dick Wilson was a brilliant mind. He mastered over 40 languages, 
Just imagine that. Most of them ancient languages no longer still spoken today. He mastered 40 plus languages, all for the sake of being able to look at Scripture and contend for the truth of Scripture. In particular, the Old Testament. We owe a great debt of gratitude to the work that Robert Duke Wilson did in confirming the historicity of the Old Testament and the, the historicity of the narratives and the, and the uh, books in the Old Testament that were passed on to us. He was one of the very first great defenders of the faith in the modern era. But Robert Dick Wilson to his students was known for something else. He was known for a, a famous question that he would often ask his students. He asked them, are you a little godder or a big godder? Are you a little godder or a big godder? One of Robert Dick Wilson's students returning to Princeton Seminary to preach in chapel recounted a story of his experience with Dick Wilson asking him this very question. After this student had presented his sermon in chapel that morning, Robert Dick Wilson approached him following chapel, and he shared with his former student, he said, I quote, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once. I'm glad that you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what their ministry will be. His former student asked him to explain, and he replied, Well, some men have a little God, and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of Scripture to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those that fear him. You have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. He paused for a moment and smiled and said, God bless you, and turned and walked away. Friends, are you a little godder or a big godder? See, how you answer that question will make all the difference in your life. Are you a little godder or a big godder? You know, as we think about Joseph in this series and story that we've been looking at this summer, if there ever was a person of faith in a big God, it was Joseph. We see Joseph holding fast to his faith in a big God from the very beginning of his life all the way to where we found him last week in the dungeon of Egypt. Joseph never lost sight of the big God that he served. And today we're going to look at another episode in Joseph's life that further reveals to us a powerful vision of our big God. But more than just that, friends, we're going to see a tremendous example of a life lived in faith in response to this big God. And we're going to see how Joseph, looking upon our big God, was inspired to live faithfully for him. And friends, my prayer for us this morning is that in looking at Joseph's example and the example of our great big God, that we too might be more inspired to live in faith and faithfulness in response to our big God. Today we're in Genesis chapter 41. It's the longest 
chapter in our series this summer, but it's a pivotal chapter. And so I'm going to read this for us this morning. It's a great story in the life of Joseph. And then I want to come back and I want to highlight some of the things that we can learn about our big God, as well as our response to our big God through the experience here of Joseph. Genesis chapter 41. Friends, I know it's hard to sit in these chairs, so if you would like to stand for the reading of Scripture this morning, I invite you to do so. Uh, If you prefer to sit, you can remain seated and feel free to do that as well. But we're going to give you a chance to stretch your legs here this morning. Genesis chapter 41. After two whole years in this dungeon, we left him in last week. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke... I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Then, sorry, seven ears withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. 
The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after then there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? In whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zephaneth paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of An. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly and he gathered up all the food of, uh, of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, 
because the famine was severe over all the earth. What an amazing story of God's faithfulness. As we look at Genesis chapter 41, we see a number of things in this passage about our great God, our big God. I want to highlight three things here this morning about our big God, and then I want to speak briefly to our response to what we learn about our big God, as seen in the life and example of Joseph. The the first thing we see here in Genesis chapter 41 about our big God is that God is sovereign in authority. God is sovereign in authority. Isaiah chapter 46 verses 8 through 10 says this about God. Remember this and stand firm. Remember this and stand firm. Friends, what we're about to read, our response to it should be to remember it and stand firm. What is this truth that we can stand firm in? God says, Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Friends, what does it mean to say that God is sovereign? To say that God is sovereign means that He is a big God. He is a God who oversees and orchestrates all the events of history. Everything in this world that transpires, transpires as a result of the will of God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 11 says that He works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things God works according to the counsel of his will. Now, friends, as God tells us here in Isaiah 46, that should serve as a great encouragement to us this morning when we think about the sovereignty of God. God says, remember this and stand firm in this. Why? Because this truth, the truth of God's sovereignty, tells us this morning, friends, that nothing enters into our lives That isn't first father filtered. God is sovereign. God is in control. And he orchestrates all things according to the counsel of his will. And you know, we see this so clearly in Genesis chapter 41. In the story of Joseph and how God has elevated him here in this passage. We see God's sovereign authority first and foremost in Joseph's journey, the journey of his life, beginning as a young boy in the household of Jacob, being sold into slavery by his brothers full of hatred against him, sent to Potiphar's house where he serves as a slave, where he's attempted to, where his Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him and then ultimately accuses him of rape. And then Joseph sent to the dungeon of Egypt. And yet in all of these things, God was orchestrating Joseph's journey every step of the way, bringing him one step closer each and every experience to God's ultimate will and plan for his life. God is sovereign in authority. We, we see this in Joseph's announcement of a coming time of plenty and famine. We see here God's sovereignty over the natural world. 
and over the events that transpire in nature. Friends, notice here, starting in verse 25, four times in our passage, Joseph highlights the authority of God over the coming time of plenty and famine. Joseph says, God will do this. God has fixed this. God has determined that this will take place. This is what God is about to do, Joseph says to Pharaoh. God was sovereign over all of these events. In fact, it's very interesting, over 1,400 times in the Bible, God's Word declares God's sovereign authority over the natural world, over the weather, over animals, over all natural phenomena. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7 says this about God, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Who's in charge of the storms? It's God. God does all these things. Psalm 135, verses 6 through 7. Whatever the Lord does, pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the deeps, He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from His storehouses. God is sovereign over all of that. We see in Matthew 10, 29, Jesus declares that not even a sparrow falls to the ground outside of the Father's will. God is sovereign over the natural world. And God was sovereign over the events that were about to transpire in Egypt. The time of plenty and the coming time of famine. God orchestrates all these things. Now, there are many people in our world who, who wrestle with this reality. God's sovereign control over, over these natural occurrences. And, and in particular, the, the difficult ones, like famines and storms and earthquakes and hurricanes. And, and many people ask the question, sometimes known as the problem of evil, How could an all-good, all-powerful God allow storms and famines and natural disasters? But friends, I think it's very interesting when you study Scripture. God never once tries to defend himself. You notice how many theologians and philosophers and apologists try to provide an answer for the problem of evil, how a good God, a powerful God could allow these kinds of events to transpire? But friends, God never seeks to defend himself. He doesn't make excuses for himself. And neither should we. You see, the answer to the problem, so-called problem of evil in our world, is not to make excuses for God, but to trust God and his word and who he is, to trust what he says about himself, that he is sovereign and faithful and good. That's who God is, even in the storms. And we might not always understand God's ways in this world, but we can trust him because his plans are always just. He's a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. That's the word of God. We we see God's sovereign authority in the response of Pharaoh to Joseph. Joseph is pulled from the pit and and brought into the palace of Pharaoh. And we see how God was sovereign even in the reaction of Pharaoh to Joseph. 
An interesting passage of Scripture, Proverbs 21.1, declares that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And we see God's sovereign authority in Pharaoh's response to Joseph. Friends, I want you to consider just how extraordinary this scene is in our passage this morning. Here is a man, Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in all the world at this time. There was no one more powerful than Pharaoh. The most powerful man in the world who literally believed that he was God on earth. Did you know that about Pharaoh? They believed that Pharaoh was God in the flesh the most powerful man in the world, and here, in the matter of a few minutes, he has been completely exposed to all of Egypt as a fraud, impotent, and submissive to the God of a Hebrew slave who was just pulled out of the dungeon of Egypt. Friends, don't tell me that the God of the Bible is not sovereign over all. We serve a great big God. Not only do we see God's sovereign authority, but we also see in our passage this morning that God is gracious in warning. God gives warning to Pharaoh. He gives Pharaoh these dreams, warning him about the oncoming calamity that was about to come against Egypt, this time of famine. Why did God warn Pharaoh? Because God is a God of grace. He gives to us what we don't deserve. And so he warns Pharaoh, a time of famine is coming. But then notice, thirdly, this morning, God is good in providing. He doesn't just warn Pharaoh about the coming calamity facing Egypt, but he provides Pharaoh with a plan through Joseph for how Pharaoh can respond to the coming famine. Why does God do this? Because he's gracious and he's good. Friends, do you remember how in the very first week of this series I told you that Joseph was a type of Christ? And how in Joseph's story, God was giving us a preview of his ultimate gospel story, his plan of salvation for the whole world. Well, friends, here in Genesis chapter 41, we see a great example of this. We see the gospel in miniature laid out for us here in Genesis 41 reflections of the gospel in this whole story god's sovereign plan over the world man's dire dilemma god's plan of deliverance it's all laid out here in genesis chapter 41 the gospel of jesus christ declares to us in passages like john 3:16 through 18 for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only Son. Friends, look at the parallels between the gospel of Jesus Christ in the story of Joseph. God's sovereign plan over the world. Humanity's dilemma. In Egypt's case, it was a famine coming. In our case, it's the calamity of sin that ravages our hearts. But God in His grace doesn't just leave us with a warning. 
of impending judgment that's coming. But like with Joseph and Pharaoh, God gives us a plan of salvation, a plan of deliverance. God sent his son as he sent Joseph dreams to provide for our deliverance. We see here in Genesis 41 the gospel reflected in the story of Joseph. And friends, just like Pharaoh in his response to Joseph, each and every one of us must also choose how we will respond to the revelation of the gospel. Will we receive God's word with joy and gladness? Will we accept it? Will we embrace it? Will we seek to live it out faithfully in our lives? Or will we choose to ignore it and neglect it? This is, the, this is the choice that stands before each and every one of us this morning. We have a major problem facing us. But God in his grace has given us a plan for our deliverance. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope of every one of us. Apart from him, friends, we are doomed to something far worse than famine to spiritual famine, to spiritual hunger and separation and death apart from a relationship with him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John goes on and says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because the famine is here. The famine is here. And apart from Jesus, the bread of life, There is no deliverance. We need Jesus, friends. Now, our passage this morning has more to offer us than than just what we can learn about our big God. You see, our, our passage this morning is also about learning how we can live in response to our big God. And here's where the testimony of Joseph's life can can offer us some direction for our lives today. A couple weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, I had the opportunity to be a part of Peter Malko's wedding. Jim and Peggy Malko's son Peter was just married, and it was a great wedding ceremony. And after the ceremony at the reception, I was sitting with Andy and Kelly Brogan, and and they were just telling me about a great vacation that they just had. Uh, They had taken uh, uh, about 10 days, I believe, to travel out to the west and visit some of our famous national parks. One of the highlights of their trip was visiting Yellowstone National Park. If you've never been there, it's one of the most amazing spots on earth. One of the iconic sites that you can see in Yellowstone is a a famous geyser known as Old Faithful. How many of you ever visited Old Faithful before? Friends, do you know how Old Faithful got its name? How it got its name? Why Old Faithful? Because it's Old Faithful. This geyser blows its top every 60 to 90 minutes like clockwork. Old Faithful. You can count on it. In fact, the old timers, the first pioneers who who came across Old Faithful back in those days 200 years ago, Old Faithful would go off like clockwork every 45 minutes. And it's only been over the last 200 years of seismic changes in Yellowstone that have lengthened that time period. But Old Faithful is still Old Faithful. And just like that geyser is named Old Faithful, we could look at Joseph and call Joseph as well Old Faithful. Because Joseph, time and time again, like clockwork, responds to his vision of our big God with faithfulness in his life. 
We can learn a lot about living faithfully in light of our big God by looking at Joseph's response to God here in our passage, Genesis chapter 41. We, we first see here that Joseph was faithful in his relation to God. He was faithful, full of faith in his relation to God. He trusted God's sovereignty. Throughout Joseph's life, he believed God's promises, and it was this belief that enabled him to stand firm no matter his circumstances. Whether he was in the pit in the land of Canaan, whether he was in the slave caravan heading to Egypt, whether he was serving in Potiphar's home or running from Potiphar's wife or in the dungeon of Egypt, Joseph kept his eyes on his big God. And it was Joseph's holding on to the promises of his big God that inspired him to live a life of faith. And friends, I want you to notice here, even as Joseph is in the dungeon, even as Joseph is being brought into the court of Pharaoh, he had still not yet seen God's promises to him fulfilled. His promises from when he was a boy, 17 years old, that one day Joseph would be elevated to a position of authority and his whole family would bow before him. Joseph still hadn't seen these dreams fulfilled. But he was standing on the promises of God's revealed word. What an example to us, friends. God had spoken and Joseph trusted we, we also see Joseph's faithfulness in a relation to God and, and that he stood boldly for God in the face of pagan hostility. Standing in the presence of Pharaoh, the man who was the most powerful man in the world, the man who believed that he was God in flesh. Joseph enters Pharaoh's court and with boldness declares the truth of our sovereign God. Friends, God's people have always wrestled with the challenges of living in the midst of a pagan culture. And we certainly know those challenges today. We, we live in a world and increasingly a nation that is hostile to the truths of Christianity. We see this playing out in countless examples, the erosion of our religious freedoms, the, the rise of a sexual culture that is antithetical to God's word. Countless examples of, of the reality of living in a challenging culture. And just like Joseph, friends, we too need to choose where our allegiance lies. Are we going to go with the culture or are we going to stand faithful according to the revelation of our God? You know, I'll tell you something this morning, friends. That choice that choice becomes a whole lot easier when you have a vision of a big God. When you have a vision of a big God and you know who our God is, standing boldly in the face of a hostile culture is far easier. It matters, friends. Are you a little Godder this morning or are you a big Godder who believes God is sovereign and all-powerful and in control of all that transpires in history? We see Joseph's faithfulness in relation to God and how Joseph lived his life in communion with God. I love Pharaoh's reaction to Joseph in our passage this morning. Look at verse 38. Joseph says to his court, after Joseph had, or Pharaoh says to his court, after Joseph had interpreted his dreams, can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God resides? 
And then a few verses later in verse 45, we see jo- Pharaoh changing Joseph's name to an Egyptian name, Zephenath Paneah. Now, scholars don't know for sure what that name means, but the closest rendering that they can see and discern is that this name means something along the lines of God speaks and he lives. In other words, Pharaoh saw God at work in Joseph's life. God speaks and he lives. Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God resides? Pharaoh saw God present in Joseph. Friends, have you ever met somebody who was so full of the Spirit of God that it just spilled out from them? The, the, the kind of person that you bump into on the street and after a few minutes of conversation, you walk away just feeling like you've been soaked in the presence of God because that person was so full of the Spirit. I, I think of many people even here in our church who over the years have just been so full of the Spirit of God, it just overflows from their lives. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the life of Sharon Peterson dearly loved member of our church who went home to be with the Lord. What an amazing woman, so full of the Spirit of God. I I remember so many times walking away from my encounters with Sharon, just feeling like I had just been soaked in God's presence because she lived her life in communion with God. There are people like that in our world where the presence of God's power and Spirit is so obvious you just can't fail to notice it. Joseph was one of those types of people. And friends, we too can be that type of person. How? By living our lives in communion with God. Keeping our eyes on our big God. Communing with Him. Trusting His Word. Following Him faithfully. Living intimately in relationship with Him. Are you the kind of person that others look at and say, this certainly is one in whom is the Spirit of God. We, we see Joseph's faithfulness in his service to God. Joseph was faithful in his service to God. I, I want you to notice here in our passage, Genesis 41, Joseph's confidence in God's promises drove him to immediate action. Joseph conveys these interpretations to Pharaoh. Pharaoh then elevates Joseph to the number two position of all of Egypt. And in response to God's promises of the coming time of plenty and famine, what did Joseph do? He got right to work. He he didn't sit back on his haunches. He got right to work. He was spurred to action. You know, friends, there's this fallacy in our world today. That, that those who look to heaven and the promises of heaven are actually a detriment to our world. How, how many of you ever heard somebody say something like, oh, you Christians are, are so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. Friends, that's a blatant lie. It's one of the worst misconceptions in our culture this morning. It's just False. In fact, when you study history, it is the most heavenly-minded people that have done the most earthly good. Because trusting in God's promises drives us to service, not complacency. And we could talk about hundreds of examples of that this morning. 
We, we also see Joseph's faithfulness in his service to the Lord and, and how he was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. Joseph may have served in the court of Pharaoh, but he recognized that he was really an ambassador of the king. His mission in serving Pharaoh was bigger than serving Pharaoh. It was about serving the God of the universe. And what an example for us when we think about our lives, friends. Where has God placed us? What is our sphere of influence? What is our responsibility in that sphere of influence? Friends, Christians are not to be people who retreat from this world, but we're to be people who are engaged in the world for the glory of God, serving as God's ambassadors. When God's people were sent into exile in Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah speaking on behalf of God, told God's people, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Friends, just like God's people in Babylon, just like Joseph in Egypt, we are called to serve God by serving the land in which he's put us. You work hard. You set an example for others through your actions, through your service, through your actions and work on behalf of the city in which you live. And you do that to the glory of God. Lastly, this morning we see Joseph faithful in his honoring of God. Joseph never wavered in his devotion to Yahweh. We see this most clearly in the example of his marriage to this pagan priest's daughter. And then the naming of his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph marries this pagan priest's daughter. And then when they have sons, he gives them Hebrew names, Manasseh, which means forgetting. In other words, Joseph says, I have forgotten because of God's faithfulness all my past troubles. And then he gives his second son the name Ephraim, which means doubly fruitful. The Lord has made me doubly fruitful. Joseph, in naming his sons Hebrew names, honors God. Friends, can you imagine the eyebrows that were raised in the courts of Egypt when the second most powerful man in all of Egypt gives his children two names, Hebrew names, honoring the God of Israel? And Joseph wasn't shy about explaining why he named his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. It was to give honor to the one true God who reigns over all the world. Not the gods of Egypt, the God of Israel, the God of Scripture. Friends, Joseph's story here from, from when we first encountered him at 17 to now his rise from the pit to the palace, this entire story is a powerful reminder to us that we serve a great big God. And Joseph's example his example of faithfulness can serve as a model for all of us. I, I want to leave you with one last verse from the New Testament, Hebrews 13, verse 8. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, friends, Joseph didn't know God's ultimate revelation of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you something this morning. Yahweh God, the God that Joseph worshipped, is the God who revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the God of Joseph, friends, still rules and reigns on his throne today. 
Our big God is sovereign. He is still in control, and he is still orchestrating the events of this world. And that should give us great confidence this morning. That should give us great encouragement. No matter your circumstances, no matter the trials you find yourselves in, no matter the difficult situations we see going on in the world around us, God is sovereign. We have a great big God. And friends, my prayer for us this morning is that Lakes Free would be a church full of big godders. People who have a vision of a great big God. And that our vision of our big God might inspire us, just like Joseph, to respond in a life of faith and faithfulness. All for the glory of God. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this great passage and this powerful model of faithfulness that we see in the life of Joseph as he responds to his vision of you, our great big God. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us here today would be equally inspired with that vision of who you are. Our big God who is sovereign over all of history, who has good and perfect plans for all that transpires, a God who has invited us and called us to live for his glory in this world. Lord, inspire us with that vision this morning. And may we live a big God kind of life, just like Joseph, as we walk in faith and faithfulness in response to you. We thank you, Lord, for these great passages that can inspire us and prod us on and encourage us. And Lord, I just pray that here at Lakes Free, we would never lose our vision of who you are. Make us big godders, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from the book of Jude, verse 1 and 2. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. God bless you, friends, and have a great week. We're going to invite our ushers to dismiss you row by row this morning, and so you can remain where you are until the ushers escort you out. God bless you guys.